17. That's right. Sweet. I was going to say sweet 17, but it's sweet 16. So whatever. Just let that just marinate in your ear hole for a minute. That sounds absolutely horrible. (laughs) Why in the world would somebody even let that come out of their mouth? Episode 17 of Out Here in the Middle podcast has now begun. You are getting to uh, just let these words just sink in and and resonate with your life. You're about to get into the middle of a conversation that's going to make you think, am I doing everything in my power to market myself? Am I doing everything in my power to be a better person when it comes to marketing my industry? And we've got a really special guest on today. Um, Thanks again to the the social media world, I was introduced to our guest and uh, and I've gotten to follow along in her story. And she's got a, a, a story of bumps and bruises, uh, but also a story of a lot of success. And uh, and so without further ado, Michelle, also known as what we say around here, the Ag Mag. Um, Michelle, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, I know you live close to the beach ish, right? How far are you from a beach? Probably about 45 minutes from South Padre. So we try to mimic that here in Del City as much as we can, just minus the water. Mm. Do you feel tropical? Not at all. Dang it. So obviously that was a gigantic <laughs> swing and a miss. We were trying to get things together, but that didn't really pan out the way I was hoping. Probably just try it a little bit harder. So so if people are following along and, and if a lot of my social media followers probably follow you, um, You've got uh, you've got a a unique story on your adventure into agriculture. So a lot of the podcasts have have centered around some form of agriculture or good value added things like that. You've taken value added and just taking it a lot further. You're you're kind of accelerating marketing. But tell us who you are. Well, my name is Michelle, obviously, or Ag Mag, as people like to call me. Um, hi, hi, Michelle. I feel like we're <laughs> meeting here. Anyways, I grew up in the Rio Grande Valley, and I did not grow up on a farm. I did not grow up in agriculture by any means. My mother was a restaurant owner. and What kind of restaurant? She owned a restaurant kind of... What was it called? It was called Peppers. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like Peppers. <laughs> it was called Peppers, and they kind of offered a wide array of food. So kind of like your typical Chili's restaurant. Okay. Was that a play on words there? Was that a... Peppers, chilies. You see what I did there? I'm smelling what you stepped in. (laughs) So so your mom was a restauranteur. That's correct. She was a restauranteur. And basically, I grew up in the restaurant business. That's what I did. I went to Texas A&M where I did not study anything agricultural based. I studied marketing. Interesting how that ties into your life. (laughs) It's funny how that works, isn't it? Right. So A&M, did you? I'm not judging. Okay. Did you graduate in four years? I did not. I took a victory lap. Oh, see, I didn't see that one coming. I was thinking, I mean, just the way that you compose yourself, I thought, well, she's no, I didn't graduate in four years. It was three and a half. Oh, you took a victory lap. So five years? I did. I paid my own way through college. So I figured why not stay another year? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, by all means. Why not? So after I graduated college, I actually wanted to be a news reporter and work on news stations. So I got a job being an assistant producer. Okay. So let's for just for the listeners out there, would you give us, would you give us a one minute wrap on the news right now? No. I mean, you you just turn on that voice and just let it rip. Just go with what you feel. Well, you know, I really can't do that, Jay, because I never made it that far. They put me in the back. Ah, see, I'm jumping forward and they put you in the back. Ah. I was an assistant producer. They told me that I didn't have the voice or the looks to become a news reporter. We're, we're, I'm, I'm not going down either, any of those roads at all. <laughs> well, that is exactly what I was told. And so the hours were extremely erratic. I would go in every day at noon and I wouldn't get home till one or two o'clock. And at the time I was 23 years old. And so I really. That's did- only an hour of work a day. Oh, yeah. You know, for a 23 year old. I mean, no. are, are you saying one or two in the morning? One or two oh, in the morning. See, that's the, right. Okay. Sorry. Oh, you millennial. I was thinking it was a hard millennial. day. It was, a, it was an hour. It was an <laughs> hour's worth of work every day. I, I was breaking nails and assistant. What, what is an associate, assistant producer? Assistant producer. So basically I just did what the producer told me to do. So I would edit, I would cut videos. I would put the little banners on, introduce people. Do you have really good grammar? No, I don't. Oh, wow. 
See, <laughs> with my dyslexia, I could I would screw so many things up if it came up to that. And, and I'm picking on you a little bit this morning because I watch your Instagram videos and you're a you're a fireball. So you know, I'm just that's I am. Everyone, man, Jay, you're coming across pretty harsh today. No, so, so it's, it's letting you know you're going to walk in here all assistant producer like. <laughs> We're going to put you on the beach at Dell City and show you how it really works. <laughs> Do it. Okay. So, so you're working, you're working 12 hours uh, a day, cutting videos, putting banners up. Running the teleprompter. Running a teleprompter. Which I messed up several times. Did you see that uh, there was a, there was an airplane crash in San Diego due to the weather conditions. And this must've been eight years ago, but somebody hacked a teleprompter and it was um, an Asian airline and they started putting in the names of what was going on. And it was like, we too low and uh, something Wong. Did you see that? Absolutely not. Oh my gosh. It made national news. And so this, this poor gal is standing in front of a camera and she is talking and she's like, and whatever airlines, you know, captain, we too low and something Wong is, you know, and it like made it out. Like somehow made it, it, it was absolutely, for me, it was just priceless. But I guarantee you that lady now probably works in the grocery department of a big store. Hey, that's not a bad job. Well, we're going <laughs> to get to that. Don't jump ahead. So continue. So after working there for a couple of months, I realized that it just wasn't for me. And so I went and I sold mobile homes for about a month and I only got paid a hundred dollars a week. And I worked probably about 12 hour days, six days a week. This one comes with chrome rim. <laughs> it did. Oh, <laughs> so mobile homes. the higher end ones. And where are you at? Like So by this time, I'm back home in the Rio Grande Valley. Okay. So I went and sold mobile homes and clearly that was not the job. Okay, so we're job one assistant <laughs> producer. <laughs> Ain't going to work. She gone. Selling, selling fleet pride mobile homes. Mm-mm. That's, that's not your ideal kind of real estate sales, huh? Absolutely not. So quickly transitioned into working for a produce company, um, mainly that dealt with citrus and onions. I've heard about those kind of companies before. Oh, I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you, you transfer into a produce company. How did you hear about that job? Uh, kind of just by who I knew. One of my friends mentioned that there was a job opening, went to the interview and turns out that I knew the owner of the company, uh, went to high school with his daughter did the interview. They hired me right there on the spot. Okay. What did you do for the produce company? I did marketing for them. So I was in charge of their websites. I was in charge of selling citrus, gift baskets, etc. Okay. Running their social media, which at the time, Facebook was really big then and basically ran their Facebook page. Was there for about two years before they sold out to Wonderful Citrus, which is the company that makes your Fiji water, your halos. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Your grapefruits. Um, wonderful citrus is very big. They own a lot of citrus companies. And so when they sold out, I lost my job and I went and I worked for a private school, a private school. I did. And I was in charge of their marketing. I was in charge of their enrollment. I would give tours. Your story is like a fruit basket. I know it's a wide variety, but don't know what's in there. Let's, (laughs) let's talk about, hold on. Grapefruit. If you want to have the best grapefruit in the entire world, It comes out of the Rio Grande Valley, not just because it's a part of the state that I live in, but I just remember I ate a grapefruit a day growing up if we could find them. And my favorite came out of the Rio Grande Valley. Why are the why are the grapefruits so good down there? That's what they used to be known for was their citrus down there. It was called the Magic Valley. Magic Valley. Now, what is it known for? Well, let's just not go there. Oh, I think a lot of people have a misconception of the Rio Grande Valley. A lot of people uh, think that we're since we're a border town, they think that it's a drug lord town and there's nothing there except for Mexico. And it's much more than that. There's a lot of citrus. There's a lot of agriculture. Yeah, we watch your stuff. I mean, sugarcane. And was that down there? Yes, there was sugarcane. And we also have a wide variety of vegetables, a lot of vegetables that people probably aren't even aware of. Kohlrabi, methy leaf, Uh, methy leaf. <laughs> it's not meth, that kind of meth. Get your mind out of the gutter. I'm just saying, I've never even heard of methy leaf. So it's an Indian herb. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> 
Continuing on, so so now you're out of you're out of a job and you are going to work at a private school. I am. And it's a funny story because the private school that I went to work at, I actually went to school there when I was a kid. And you they let you back in the doors. Surprisingly they did. So there's that's saying something about your character. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. So what did you do at the private school? That or I just worked for a really low rate. I don't know. Uh, well, desperate times call for <laughs> desperate measures. I mean, so anyways, there, like I said, I did all their marketing. I was in charge of their enrollment. And after I kind of revamped all their marketing that they needed done, I found myself very complacent. And I am the type of person that my mind has to be engaged 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Don't know anything about that. <laughs> Obviously. Um, but Let's talk about complacency in, in, in a job. Was it to the point where it was slowing you down as a person where you didn't want to get out of bed in the morning kind of complacency? Yes, it was the type of complacency that I would wake up every morning. I didn't want to get dressed for work. Um, I would go to work and pretty much play on Facebook all day. There was really nothing for me to do. Um, it started to affect my home life because I was just bored out of my mind. And now, so are you married at this time? I am married at this time. When yes. did you get married? I got married in 2004. No, 13. I'm not the romantic type. I miss my anniversary all the time. Okay. It's no so, secret. <laughs> What's your husband's name? His name is Clayton. Clayton, buddy, you're doing good, man. I'm here for you. Um, the, the, here, here's where, here's where we missed a step. When, so 2013, when, when did you, at what point in your life did you get married how long did you date Clayton? I dated Clayton. See, you're asking me these questions. I don't, I'm not the romantic type. I don't remember. I know, 2009 but, is oh, when we met. Oh, so long-term dating. We're just trying to build a portfolio of who Michelle is. <laughs> We're just, just putting this book together here. I'm sorry, Clayton. I love you. Uh, 2009 is when we met. 2009, fireworks. They were on the beach and there was a unicorn. No, sorry. I'm trying to paint the wrong picture. You're way off. Okay. So, so... You get married in 2013. You're you're working at a, a private school. What is Clayton doing? What are you what's the home life like? So Clayton works for Helena Chemical. And when we met, we actually met after graduation Okay. Uh, from Texas A&M. And he got a job offer working for Helena in the Rio Grande Valley. It mm -hmm. was either there or Uvalde. And he chose the Rio Grande Valley, which I stayed up in College Station and continued uh well, this is before we're married, by the way, uh, stayed up in college station and continued to work and waiting tables. Okay. So anyways, moved back down with him and he works for Helena Chemical and he also farms. Okay. And uh, you get married yep, and now you're, married. now you're in a complacent place in your life. The home life isn't great because your, your wheels are spinning faster than your life is moving. That's correct. What is he saying to you right now? At this point, he's said, you have to continue to work. We can't afford for you not to work. You're just going to have to tough it out. And I'm the type of person that if I'm not happy, I'm not going to sit there and cry about it. I'm going to fix it. How in the world did you fix your complacent life? Well, uh, I'm a big believer in faith and I prayed and prayed and prayed. And one day I was sitting there at my computer and the idea popped in my head to why not start an agricultural magazine? And now, what year is this? This would have been 2014. Okay. So 2014, we're starting to already see the shift that people are starting to go to online marketing that you're seeing paper kind of go away and you've come up with an idea to go to paper. That's right. Ooh, that's not complacency. That's just <laughs> sheer insanity. Well, I'm pretty crazy if you can't tell through following my social media. Okay. So <laughs> we're going through, we're going through that thought process. And what is your husband telling you? What is, I mean, what is... All right. So I called him as soon as the idea popped in my head. And I said, do they have a farming magazine down here? He said they used to, but they don't. I said, great. They do today. Walked in and quit my job at that second. <laughs> but, ah. Yes. Yeah, so, and at the time when I quit my job, I had $200 in my bank account. And when I got home that evening, you can imagine the conversation didn't go very well with the husband, but it ends like this. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> Stop it, crickets. Okay. So we sat there and we talked about it after the crickets were done chirping. And he said, you know what? I think it's a great idea. I believe in you. So let's go for it. So how do you, how do you build, walk us through building a business of 
a, a magazine when everything's going digital? Well, I believe that where I'm from, there's a lot of older generational farmers who like tangible objects. They like to hold a paper, the newspaper and read it. They like to hold the magazine. So I figured, you know what, let's just go for it and try. I'll offer digital version as well as the tangible option. Mm -hmm. So that way I can hit the younger generation and the older generation. So what I did was I went on to Google, found just a couple articles, farming articles, sent them to a graphic designer and said, make me a mock magazine. Went and had about 20 copies printed, went around the Rio Grande Valley and sat there with some agricultural businesses and said, this is my idea. This is what I'm going to do. You want to invest in me? And what did they say? I had four people tell me yes. So my very first magazine was four. I had four advertisers and I had 24 pages, 24 pages. That's a lot of content without a lot of money coming in. It hmm, yeah. sounds like a podcast. <laughs> Everybody kind of gets quiet again. Roll crickets. Another one of our awesome sponsors is Big Frig Coolers. You know, it seems like everybody has a cooler. I mean, if you if you think about your new garage or in the truck of your car or in the back of your pickup, we all have coolers. One thing about being a farmer and running around on the roads that we have, I can beat the living crap out of anything that you put in the back of my truck. And I've had a lot of coolers. I did not understand what it was like to have a well-made cooler until I got a Big Frig cooler. I got to meet Brock a while back. He's the owner of Big Frig. Him and his amazing team have gone through uh, trial after trial, making sure that they are putting together the best built cooler that you can buy. The cool thing about Big Frig is you're able to customize your cooler as well. So if you're looking for a personalized logo or if you're looking something for your company to be on top of that, so that way you're always repping your company, get with the guys at Big Frig. They can do any kind of crazy custom order. Uh, I've got my J Hill logo on mine and I absolutely love it. Went elk hunting with it, orange rubbed all over it. It still looks absolutely amazing. Go to bigfrig.com. They've got all kinds of awesome things and we support their movement as they support ours. We look forward to the future with Big Frig. And of course, one sponsor that I really can get behind, and I'm so honored to be a part of this great team, Chaffe. Chaffe is a Western-grown forage. It's an alfalfa-based product that's grown in the high desert of West Texas, actually in the shadow of the Guadalupe Mountains, which is the tallest point in the state of Texas. Chaffe is a premium feed in the fact that we take alfalfa and we let biology do what it does best. It jumps in and it breaks down that feed through the culturing process that allow probiotics and all of these microbes to allow this product to be highly digestible by your animal. If you want more information about Chaffe, you can go to Chaffe.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram or just stop by your local feed store and ask them about Chaffe. If they don't know anything about it, send them our way. Have them ask questions. Tell them Jay sent you. If you're looking for the right forage for your farm, try Chaffe. So you've got four. And what was your first episode about? What, and this is 2015, 14. It's still 2014. So in my magazine, I don't, everyone always asks me, what is your topic this month? Or what is your main focus? And I don't necessarily have a main focus in each edition. I try to cover the wide array of agriculture. So after the first magazine came out, it got a lot more interest than I had anticipated. And so by the second magazine, I was already profitable. And it jumped from 24 pages up to 64. Holy cow. In wow. a matter of a month and a half. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> keep, keep, keep stoking this fire. All right. So I figured, okay, I'm onto something here. And so I continued to contact more people and I started going to more field days. I started going to more, you know, I guess I don't want to say an RCS because I know how you feel about them right now. <laughs> but I started to go to events like that, farm bill meetings, anything that you could think of. I started joining uh, more agricultural baseboards. I sat on the Real Grand Valley Livestock Show board. And there I started to make connections and network more and more. And that's when the advertisers started to roll in more. And then I had more content rolling in. Mm -hmm. And by the third magazine, I was up to 80 pages. Holy cow. So you... Yeah, exponential growth now. So you got lots of content, but you still have four sponsors. No, my advertisers have gone up. Okay. I was profitable by the second one. I went from four to 20. So let's go, let's go back to how many interview or how many people did you pitch to on the first magazine? I probably pitched to a good 50. Okay. So I think this is something that people need to hear because there are a lot of people out there, especially our listeners that are looking at how can we bring added revenue to something that we're doing? 
the bulk of of people that are listening to us aren't just agriculture based. And and so there's a lot of guys that have, you know, that work for a corporate world or gals that work in a corporate setting that are always asking, hey, how do we build our own homestead? How do we build our own life? You know, we want to do shoes, we want whatever it is. How did you how did you prepare yourself to pitch your magazine? What was what was your sell me your magazine? You want me to sell it? To I you. want you to sell me that magazine. Okay, so I would. Well, let's say what kind of business are you? You have to tell me that first. Uh, let's say I'm a trucking company. All right. So I'd walk in to your office and I'd say, here, Jay, this is what I have for you. This is an agricultural magazine. I feel like your trucking company could benefit greatly from it. As we know, agriculture and non-agricultural, we need trucking companies to ship our products. So I hit that demographic. I would tell you as many people as I hit, I throw numbers at you because let's be real. People need to see numbers. Mm -hmm. People like numbers. So I throw the numbers at you. I would talk to you, figure out your budget and say, Let's do it. Now, do you think, because you are a very assertive female. um, Thanks, I think. Yes, that's good. (laughs) Do you think that that comes across as intimidating to some of the older generation that you were trying to pitch this to? I don't think so. I have the ability to kind of morph myself depending on who I'm talking to. And I think that just plays in, which I'm sure we'll get into with the TV show. But I just kind of morph my personality. So if I'm talking to you and you're a very mellow person, I will mellow myself down. Obviously, I'm a mellow person. <laughs> if you're a high strung person, then I know that I can bring that type of energy. So I kind of analyze the person before I go and realize what I'm going to do. Do you feel like there's been a barrier to entry in what you're doing because of your gender? When I first started, I don't think it was so much my gender, but I think it was because I didn't grow up in agriculture. Okay. So I think a lot of people had the misconception that I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. And you're in, you're in the Rio Grande Valley. So we're painting the picture that your blonde hair don't care. And in the Rio Grande Valley, you don't see a lot of that. I mean, you don't, and you don't, and on top of that, you throw a stick of dynamite into your personality and it's like, okay, this is interesting. This is, this is different. Um, so yeah, you, you throw a stick of dynamite into your personality and the next thing you know, boom. Okay. So I'm a trucking company. I, I, I what does it cost me in those days? What, you know, I want a full page ad in, in what is it called? Agmag? Yes. Agmag. You Ag- should know that you're interviewing me. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> Siri. So what, Crickets. what's it? You, you don't have to give me a hard number, but I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. sure. What, what do you, what is the potential that you're thinking in your mind that you can make? You're, you're trying to make this a completely viable business where if your husband couldn't work, you could support the family, right? Huh. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> so here's the thing is when I first started, I had absolutely no clue about running a magazine. I know that watching my mom grow up running a restaurant, I had some sort of guidance as to how to run a business, but I kind of contacted some magazine owners. I asked them, how much does it cost you to produce your magazine? Uh, asked my graphic designer what his cost was and kind of developed my prices from there. So when I go in and sell, um, my prices do vary based upon the company. So I'm not going to walk into a mom and pop place and say, hey, I'm going to charge you $800 for a full page ad when I clearly know that's out of their bounds. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to help them as much as they want to help me. So we find that happy ground. Now, if I were to go to a Bayer, Monsanto, larger company, I'm I'm jacking up the price. I I hope they're not listening. (laughs) No, but I mean, that, that's I mean, it's important because if, if somebody's advertising budget, you know, allows for that and they feel like they're going to get more bang for their buck. It's really hard to be able to operate in two lines, though, where people feel like they're getting you know treated fairly. Right. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that it does make sense on why you would do what you do. So so you, you you're now three episodes deep, you're 80 pages of content. You got what, 50 avatar, 50 advertisers. I need to work right. on getting those words out of my mouth smoothly. <laughs> so at this point in your mental game, where are you at? Uh, I'm on cloud nine because I didn't expect the magazine to take off as quickly as it did. You know, with any business, I feel it takes almost a year, if not three to five years to become profitable. How are you, how are you advertising this? By going to every field day, every agricultural related event that you could imagine. And I dropped off my magazine at over 400 locations. Uh, You know, I just marketed myself. I joined agricultural boards, became part of these organizations. And you're just, it's like free chickens on Sunday morning. You're just throwing (laughs) magazines out like. Like it's going out of style and the magazine's free. So why not? Free magazine. It's awesome. Okay. So you're rocking and rolling. Rocking and rolling. And what leads you 
further into the future? I mean, are, are you at that time thinking I'm just going to be a magazine owner and that's what I wanted to do? You know, it was still fairly new to me. And so I wanted to see where it goes. And typically the rule that I've been told is uh, if you can make it past that five year hump, you know, you've made it. And so I was just continuing to grow myself, eventually grew the magazine to 90 pages, uh, found more and more content, started to involve myself more. And let's dive into content then. Okay. I feel that in agriculture, it gets boring. I mean, I, really, it gets completely boring. Let's be honest. I've, I've got so many friends on social media, but we're all in some way, shape, or form bouncing around in the same. So-and-so's got a podcast. So-and-so's got a YouTube. So-and-so's growing grapes, and so-and-so's growing corn and soybeans. And so it's just kind of the same monotonous circle of what we do. How in the world do you get creative with agriculture and find something that's compelling that they want to read? Well, that's why, first of all, uh, I'm a firecracker, is I believe that I bring a lot of my personality into my magazine. But I try to cover all bases. So not only do I cover the typical, I guess you could say, boring stuff of the farm bill and the, you know, repetitive rule changes and laws. But I cover 4-H, FFA. Um, I try to have some writers write about their personal experience about growing up on a farm. So I try to cover every aspect, ranching, you name it. So that way there's a wide diversity. Okay. And do you feel like you hit slumps? How often does the magazine come out? Every other month. So there's six editions a year. Okay. So that makes a lot more sense. I mean, if you were trying to push a magazine of this size out every month or even every couple of weeks, there's no way. How in the world do you get enough content for that? You know, there are months where I struggle finding content. There's definitely the summer is definitely slow for me. And so that for there, I do struggle. And it is kind of like pulling teeth to get articles. Right. I obviously don't write them all. I'm terrible. I own a magazine, but I'm terrible at grammar. What do you, what is your, uh, what is the most random content you've put into a magazine thus far? Huh? Most random content. I mean, something that you'd be like, oh, I didn't even think that was associated with agriculture. Hmm. That's a good question. Thank you. (laughs) It's payback for getting at him earlier. I would probably say I interviewed someone who had a podcast that was not really ag based, and I forgot to put their name in there. You didn't even put their name in it. No, I put their picture. Who was it? <laughs> it was Rob Shark. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but it really, the article wasn't anything about ag. It was more so about him. Like the biggest, like the biggest podcast in agriculture, <laughs> and you didn't even drop Sharky's name. And I put man behind the mic, and I just completely did not put his name. And so for, you know, the magazine is really focused down in the Rio Grande Valley. My name is Jay, by the way. <laughs> nice to meet you, Jay. Okay, thanks. You know, the magazine is down in the Rio Grande Valley. So a lot of the p- listeners listening might say, I've never heard of this magazine. And so originally <laughs> it was originally started just for the Rio Grande Valley. So here these farmers are reading it and they're like, who is this guy? We don't even, why is this in the magazine? He doesn't even have a name. He's the guy behind the mic. <laughs> yeah. And that guy's got like the deepest, perfect voice for radio. He does. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So going on, <laughs> you, you torpedoed Rob Sharkey's right there. <laughs> um, and, and those of you that are listening, if you're looking for a solely agricultural based podcast um, and he does throw in some random, you know, hunting and things like that too, but which I, I think falls into agriculture. Um, Rob does a fantastic job. So please go, go listen to the shark farmer radio. Um, he does not farm sharks. <laughs> Moving on. All right. Okay. So we're, we're multiple episodes, multiple um, editions deep in your magazine and you're trying to figure out what now? Like, are you, are you at a point where you're like, okay, this is cruise control. It's time to move on or, Hey, this is not profitable. I need to figure out something. I mean, what are you, where are you, where are you headed with this thing? Well, the magazine, like I said, after the second one was profitable and it just became more and more profitable. So let's fast forward six years, had the magazine for six years. Uh, I'm starting now to make it national. So that is a growing phase that I'm in right now. But I found myself complacent again because after six years, the magazine started to almost run itself. There was not much grooming that I had to do. So I'm driving down the highway one day, mind is spinning, and I thought, hey, let's start a TV show called Ag on Wheels, where I travel around and film farmers and ranchers. Ag on Wheels. So we're going from Ag Mag to Ag on Wheels. That's right. Okay, so where are you at right now with Ag on Wheels? 
So right now with Ag on Wheels, uh, it was doing really great. We had 10 episodes, actually 11 episodes, and uh, we kind of stopped with COVID. Obviously, we had to redirect ourselves. I love this. I'm sorry. <laughs> you do. I know. Okay. So COVID, suck it, COVID. Yeah, exactly. Suck it, COVID. So anyways, uh, I had to sit there and here I am thinking, wow, invested a lot of money into this TV show because it was new. And so I used a lot of my earnings from the magazine to put into the TV show. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I've invested so much money. I certainly can't just stop. So what I've done is I have reformed it to where we're doing 10 minute episodes and just throwing it onto social media and all those good platforms until COVID seems to go away, which I'm thinking will be in November, but yeah. (laughs) You can talk about that stuff. I mean, yeah, you, if you yeah. want to talk about it, do you think do you think COVID is politically driven? Absolutely. One hundred percent. And I have no problem saying that. Ooh, tough. <laughs> uh, if you want to. I mean, you're welcome to, to talk. all. No, I'm good. <laughs> I, I said my two cents. <laughs> OK. OK. So with with how do you make money on ag on in it, how, how does this make money? Right. Great question. Same way the magazine does. Advertising pays for it all. OK. It's so, all sponsors. So as you do a production, it'll be like this episode of Ag on Wheels is sponsored by whoever. Texas Farm Credit. Let's just say them because they have been my number one supporter. So let's just say that. (laughs) (laughs) They've been supporters of us, too, but we've definitely had to pay them some money. So um, (laughs) that's actually Capital Farm Credit, but that's all part of the Farm Credit family. And we're very grateful for for what they've done to allow us to be able to operate even in tough times. So these kind of people are jumping on board. No. And, oh, they're not. No. I was about to blindside you here. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy Swami Samsonite, like not even close. Not even close. So here's what just what the heck, Texas Farm Credit? Where are you at? <laughs> no, they they do. They sponsor me. They are good, but the sponsors weren't jumping on board like the magazine. So this is where I'm mind blown. I still haven't figured it out. So you said earlier print is dying, right? Yeah. I have people in line wanting to advertise for the magazine. But when it came time to the TV, it was crickets. It's proven. hit the cricket button. Sorry. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. So to me, I was trying to figure out why in God's green earth are people not wanting to sponsor a TV show? But they're in line for something that's dying. No wonder why people are buying your stuff. You just told me hit the cricket button and I did it like it was like my job. <laughs> See? What in the world? Okay, sorry. I spaced <laughs> out for a minute. Okay, continue. So that was something that I struggled with. And I knew that the TV show, uh, I really wanted intern to Intern Sarah, why are you making noise over there? Sarah, the intern. Sarah, the intern is like just like dropping. By the way, she said she's coming to work with me. <laughs> over my dead body <laughs> so i can't afford her it's all right so anyways i'm i'm still trying to figure it out you know why people just wouldn't want to sponsor a tv show but print they're all for it so i invested my own money into my own production which i'm still doing um obviously using the funds from one business and placing it into another so we're just gonna keep going how's that stress ball feeling wonderful i love stress what's your husband saying now no, he I think he's learned over the years and he knows what he married. So he just kind of stands back and cheers me on and helps when I need help. See, that's that's I, I feel like me and you are probably wired way too close. And probably. I, I think that your husband and my wife would probably fall on the same lines of just being, hey, you guys are supporting with without that. We would be. Yeah. Bad spot in this world. Absolutely. I mean, he's my biggest cheerleader. There's times where he's looked at me and said, what the are you doing? But, uh, he, he trusts me. We need to get one of those buttons. (laughs) Beep. Yeah. We need a beep button bad. So why do you think, I mean, you're big on social media and you're big in everything that you do. Why do you think people wouldn't want to invest in TV versus print and leave social media out of it? Let's just say TV and print. Okay. So only because I've been doing research in the same world, because we've got to advertise for our companies and, 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 It's interesting to me to see how advertising has changed really with the start of Netflix. So Netflix was the torpedo that took Blockbuster down, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all remember having a Blockbuster card and going and renting DVDs and movies and all those kind of things. That was never going to change. Like, when would Blockbuster ever go away? I mean, the owner of Blockbuster owned an island for crying out loud, you know, and, and advertising 
was was in a total different campaign. Magazines were still big in those times. And then you were starting to get some online articles about things. So Netflix comes on the scene and not only do they take away um, that side of of entertainment, but what ends up happening is we start to see the demise of cable TV. Right. Cable TV is driven 110% by advertising. So when you click on, you know, today in Cabela's, you can go in and blah, blah, blah. Now back to Jim Shockey, we're going to go shoot a moose. You know, so that you've got all of these things that are going on. Well, if you get on the Netflix right now and you click on it, what do you, what advertisements do you see? None. None. Zero. Zip. Zilch. And so people are freaking out because they've invested, especially bigger companies that have invested uh, in advertising and marketing for so long through cable TV um, and, and, and other avenues that they no longer have that ability. We talked about producing a show just about what's going on on the farm. Went in a, and a good friend of mine's got a other good friend that is a big name high-end Hollywood executive producer. This guy's this guy's put out some huge shows. We sat down, ate lunch with the guy, and he's like, yeah, he's like, you want to do it? You're going to have to pay us probably about a million and a half dollars. <laughs> and I almost spit my turkey sandwich at him. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're supposed to pay me for the content that I have. And he said, the game has changed. He said, now what large companies like this are doing is they want a part of your business. And I'm like, well, I'm not selling my soul to the devil for that. So it's interesting enough. I, I think the reason that you might have a harder time selling this idea, one, is it's not proven. And two, that the whole dynamic of, of marketing is shifting so rapidly because people aren't wanting to, to watch this. You know, they're, they're wanting to watch your content, but they're not wanting to see the ads. Right. And so what you have to do is you have to sell. Remember, I'm a farmer in West Texas, so I don't know crap about you know, what comes out of the back end of a cow. But at the same time, I really don't know anything about marketing. If you're going to sell something, then you're going to have to prove to those people that what you are doing, which I think ag on wills is a great idea. Somebody that, you know, there was the Texas County reporter. Yes. You know, I used to in college, I would wake up on a Sunday morning hungover and I would <laughs> I would I would eat a bowl of oatmeal and I would turn on. God, that sounds TV. terrible eating after a hangover. What is wrong with you? That might answer some questions for some people. <laughs> um, but at the same time, watching Texas County reporter. I mean, I could envision my great grandmother enjoying to watch that <laughs> show, but I loved it because he was always headed somewhere around the state of Texas. And I was just I was like, oh, I didn't even know that there was a town called that or I didn't know they make, you know, felt hats. They do whatever it was. And so people really enjoyed that. And for you to go around and show so many people are interested in where our food comes from, mm -hmm. um, I think it would be great to have you know, somebody out there standing in a field in Michigan talking about this or a, you know, the Rio Grande Valley pineapples or whatever. <laughs> so that's actually Do the they grow plan. pineapples down there. No, dang it. I mean, they might have one or two. There are some home gardeners or what they call master gardeners that do, but a not a massive production or anything of that sort. Okay, So back off of the, the pineapples. Here. <laughs> so we my my thought is this is is. You've just got to get it in the right hand to the right people. And, you know, I had to think about it, too. Who really wants to watch a 30 minute educational show now? You know, people's uh, attention span these days isn't as long as it used to be. Mine's never been long. So we've thought or, you know, I sat there and pondered and I said, you know, what if I just do 10 to 15 minute spots and this will give me more funds because I won't have to pay as much in production for a 30 minute episode. Mm -hmm. And this gives me the funds to actually be able to get out of Texas and go travel. And so that's exactly what we're doing. And I've started that last month and we're going to be on a roll. I am booked for the next six months traveling around the United States with, with no real certainty. No real certainty. Just like my magazine. It's the way I roll. Hello, Gypsy. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, yes. though. I mean, and that's I think, in my opinion, you will be wildly successful because you're following something that you think is going to work. And, you know, I'm not doing it for. That was a very generic statement. Let me go back on yeah. that real quick. Just because you think it's a good idea doesn't mean it's a good idea. Trust me, I've had plenty of good <laughs> ideas that were not. But at the same time, hard work, dedication and making sure that you're pouring yourself into something that you believe in. Your ideal of success will be able to be monetized quickly if you stay true to what you want to do.
Well said. Thank you. Okay. Rolling. (laughs) So yeah, you know, and I don't do it for the money. I don't do it for the fame. I truly want to spread the word of agriculture. Uh, Like I said, I didn't grow up on a farm and now I'm heavily involved in agriculture and I see the struggles. I see the hard work that farmers, ranchers, even people at the FSA office, you know, everyone involved in agriculture plays an important role. And I want Mm -hmm. to be that person that highlights their hard work. Okay. So, so we're going to which I agree with that. I, I, I believe that people's stories need to be told because um, some people just aren't going to do it. And they're, the highlights and the highlight reel of their life is extremely important. And, and that's kind of why we're here. We, we want to hear interesting stories about a girl that, that worked in a restaurant <laughs> that has lost her marbles and is now hell on wheels agriculture. <laughs> so as, I like that. Hell on wheels. I, actually, there's a show on Netflix that's called Hell on Wheels. Fantastic. Um I think one of the one of the things, though, is you said you're not motivated, motivated by like fame. Right. You've got to be motivated by fame in some in some sense or form. And if you're not, I don't I don't understand that. So with me, I my biggest thing, especially on a social media platform, is I want people to know like Daniel. I want people to know that the guy behind the screen, you know, is the reason that this podcast is the fastest growing podcast in so many different sections. I want to know the intern, Sarah, you know, I want people to understand that this is not Jay, but what's ended up happening is you watch my followers and engagement and it it's bolstered and bolstered and bolstered. And now it's come to a point where I'm like, yeah, I want followers. Absolutely. Let's be completely in it. There's an ego that, that, that falls into that mindset. And so playing the day to day, this 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 will give you a, another look into what my brain looks like as the rubber ball, ball is bouncing around. Um, it turns into it turns into making sure that I'm true to myself. More importantly, I'm true to my family and my employees. I want to make sure that and, and business partners, um, I want to make sure that we have done a good job as far as telling our story. But at the same time, the thing that I get out of that is the fact that I get to go and meet these next good, huge, big proponents of what it is. And so the amount of ego that comes into the back end, I want to be very, very open about that, that it's something that I have to make sure that I check daily, because if I don't, this thing can spin out of control so fast. Correct. For you, there's got to be some of that because you're successful in what you do. I mean, what you've got like 9,000, 8,000 followers on Instagram. You've been on there for less than a year. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, come on now. Let's talk about blowing up. Yeah. Okay. I'm not driven by fame. That's I think that the more well known you are, the better opportunities that you have because you have you're better connected. And so to say that I'm driven by fame isn't a valid statement statement. Um, I do want people to know that I am associated with my magazine, that I'm hell on wheels, as you'd like to say. Um, you know, I'm developing myself a reputation. Put agriculture in there too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Agricultural hell on wheels. There you go. But um, it's really, I, I, I don't want all the attention on me. I want the attention on the people that deserve it. I'm just that vehicle. To get them there. To get them there. And so I just I've never been a person. I mean, I am an only child. So to say that I don't like attention wouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) It's all coming out. You know, I I definitely don't have patience. And so maybe that's why I push my Instagram so hard. And yeah, great. I do want followers. I do want more followers. I think everyone on Instagram wants followers, whether they want to admit it or not. They do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost the thing that the thing that gets me is one clicks. And two is, you know, we've turned it into high school, middle school on popularities, you know, um, on, you know, who's who's who and who's, oh, my gosh, if you don't talk to so and so, then, you know, then you really haven't hit it. At the same time, being able to just sit there and be like, hey, this is this is a story of my life and using it truly as a platform. There's a couple of people that I follow that are wildly famous on Instagram mm-hmm. and they could give a rat to her end about who talks to them and does whatever. They're just living their own life. Yeah. That's kind of what I try to do. I I try to be as real as possible on my Instagram. You meet me in person, you meet me on Instagram. I'm still a spitfire. I am who I am. Uh, And I'm not going to pretend to be someone else. And I think that that's really important, especially like for you that has so many followers. When you meet people, you want to be true to yourself and you want to show the world that you're just an average man. Yeah, I don't ever want to come across. And I've had people as I've, you know, gained in popularity, they're like, we saw you and you didn't say hi. And I don't that hurts. Like, I don't. I never want to be the person that is not going to be some kind of guy. And I'm not famous. So I don't ever want to be the guy that's not going to walk into a room and shake somebody's hand, you know, because some people, I I just want to make sure that it's humanized as as possible. And you do a great job of that. So, so 
time is you, you talk really fast, but you don't talk fast enough to outrun the clock. So so as we're as we're rolling forward in life, you've got something else going on in the background and you've got something that piqued my interest because as much as I'm not a marketer, everything that I have to do is marketing. Um, and we, we had the opportunity for you to meet in front of our marketing team and our sales team yesterday with Jaffe, which we're very grateful for your time and, and you doing that. But we talked about educating people about where their food comes from just a little bit. And That's the fact right. that your, your uh, ag on wheels, is that? That's right. Yeah. Ag on wheels is, is kind of doing that. And it's kind of connecting people with where did their watermelon come from? And so you are now. Well, it's not just watermelon, though. Well, I know, but that was just an example. Okay. Um, Anything. Anything. Um, You're walk us through it. Okay. Before I before I just start digging the hole. Yeah. Okay. So this program is called Farmer Who. And basically. Farmer Who? Farmer Who. Oh. Farmer You. Farmer Who? Farmer Jay. Mm. (laughs) So basically what this does is we really want to highlight the American agriculture and your American farmer or rancher or dairyman. And so this um, farmer who gives that sense of safety to the consumer where they get to actually meet that farmer, that rancher, let's just say that producer, right? So we're trying to close the gap between consumer and producer. Trying to close that. How do you do that? So the idea behind it was we get a sticker with me holding a QR code and we slap that sticker on that piece of produce, whether it be the watermelon or Vanna White. That's right. That's exactly what I felt like. And um, all you got to do is put your cell phone up to that QR code. You don't have to download an app or anything of that sort. And then a one minute video will automatically pop up with the farmer that grew that exact piece of produce that you're holding or meat or poultry, so on. <laughs> I just, I just had this <laughs> vision in my head. My name's Butch. This is Bessie. You're eating a T-bone right now. And <laughs> Bessie says, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is a certain criteria oh, we okay. have to go through. <laughs> this T-bone came out of Bessie. She's my favorite cow, but I hope she feeds your family. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. So <laughs> you've got, You've got Farmer Who going on, and that's that's you and some partners. And you and- that's right. It's me and Frontera Produce. Uh, we're pretty much partners. Okay. And as you guys are launching this, is this nationwide? Is this? It is specific? nationwide. Okay. So we've already done our watermelons, and they're already in forty nine states, and they go all over. And we uh, Alaska or Hawaii? Hawaii. Oh. So we actually have the opportunity that every time someone scans a sticker, we know male or female, what city, what state. We can get all that information to help us in the back end realize our target market. And you thought that the government was spying on you. <laughs> not not the case. Google. It is Michelle. No, <laughs> I'm not that smart. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so Farmer Who launched or launches, launches, it's already launched. It's out. Yeah. We launched it during COVID and we were kind of hesitant to do so. We said, should we wait till COVID passes? And I said, no, let's do it now because we need to give that consumer that sense of security that their food is being grown like a regular person. Because a lot of times people think that farmers are these terrible people who are ruining the environment, who are spraying all these harsh chemicals. And so the farmer who is there to clean up that misconception. Look, Jay's your average farmer. He grew oh, thanks. your chilies. <laughs> Son of a gun. I thought you said that's what you wanted to be. I've worked my whole <laughs> life to not be average. And then there's that. Hit the cricket button. <laughs> you did it again without hesitation. God, I don't even know what to do with my hands. I just hold on to the mic stand over here. But okay, so I don't understand. I don't understand how this hasn't come up. Like, how are you guys the first to the punch here? It just seems like something that's so logical. How? How did you? Because we're we're just so freaking average. <laughs> that's exactly how that happened. No, so you know, as I said earlier in this podcast, the TV show kind of wasn't doing as well as I wanted. So what we did was. I walked into Frontera Produce and I had a meeting with Will Steele and I said, Hello, Will Steele, by the way. (laughs) I and he is the owner of Frontera Produce. And I said, I need help. I need your business advice. What should I do? And from there, the idea kind of popped up. Now, if you go into a grocery store, there are QR codes on several products. Okay, there is. But they're not interviews with the exact farmer. So that's what makes us different. We actually go around, travel and have that one minute video that makes it Convenient and easy. Convenient and easy. That's right. How easy is it to get farmers to stand in front of a camera? 
it's pretty easy if they're like you. I mean, everyone's different. So (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's really just some people say no. I mean, even I even have people say no for my magazine when I want to interview them. How do you handle rejection? Dust the dirt off my knees and say, have a great day and go on to the next. So you I mean, you you just threw that water off a duck's back analogy out. Um, <laughs> what what gets at you, though? Because everything that we've talked about from from beginning to end in this rapidly approaching end of the podcast has been you have had to take a leap of faith. You've had to go out above and beyond and try to you know generate something. And you've had to have thousands of doors slammed in your face. And how do you not let that just crush you? You know, I've been through far too much in my life, maybe six or seven years ago. Well, let's say maybe 10 years ago, it would have stung a little bit. But now I know that that's just part of life. People aren't always going to be yes, mans. There's going to be people that say no. Mm -hmm. And for every 10 people that say no, there's going to be that one that says yes. And And so the other the other nine are going to realize, well, he said, yes, I probably should have come back to the table and do that. So funny story. I actually had a advertiser tell me no one time. He said, your magazine will never make it. Not going to do it. He said it that way. He said it that way. It was rude as could be. And he said, get out, have a nice day. I said, okay. And yeah, so it hurt because I was just starting at the time. So once my magazine became successful, I got the magazine, wrapped it up in a box and put a bow on it and walked, <laughs> walked into his office and said it there it was during Christmas time. And I said, have a Merry Christmas. Thought you said I'd never make it. And I watched him open the magazine. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and you know what? From that day forward, he advertised in my magazine. I guarantee still, you he did. Still does to this day. <laughs> <laughs> that just made me all giddy inside. Um, we're ending on, on, on two questions. Okay. If you listen to this at all, then you should be prepared. If you haven't, then congratulations. You're getting caught off guard. Oh, great. Agmag. What is your biggest fear in life? My biggest fear in life is failing. In what aspect of failing? Just that I will fail. Like I will have to start, go working for someone else. That's my biggest fear. In business. In business. Okay. Yeah. Despite a family member or a religious belief or icon, who's your biggest hero? Well, the good Lord, number one, but. I I can't use that. No, it's excluded. Oh, you said religious. Um, I I would say (laughs) um, my mentor would be Cord Pate. He was someone that I worked with at the Citrus Company, and he completely changed my life in ways that I can describe. Still, still friends to the day. He's like a dad to me. Okay. Well, you have anything else you want to throw into this thing? I appreciate you having me on here. We went from, as the Canadian says, yeah, today we went from soup to nuts, eh? Um, Michelle, your your drive is awesome. Your um, story is amazing in the fact that you're building something from scratch and you've had to do it multiple times um you can follow her on on social media at agmag underscore stx stx south South texas Texas. that's right right. with all without further ado i want to say thanks for being out here in the middle thanks enjoy your new big frig tumbler i will they're so friggin' cool thank you so much i have to say that every time y'all be blessed god bless we'll talk to you here soon